0: A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with the harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this, when the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish. It is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Okay, well, we'll go through this really quickly. That's a psalm for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ. It was said to Israel in uh, Exodus 16, this shall be a sign to you. It's like um, uh, circumcision in Genesis 17 is a sign. A sign always points to something else. Okay, it's not the thing itself. In the Bible, you've, and we hear this again and again in the Deuteronomy sermons, is that a mofet or a wonder is something in itself okay? God performs a miracle and that is what it is. But a sign is something that points to something else. So when you think about the circumcision or you think about the Sabbath, you want to think about Jesus and how he is the fulfillment of those things. It says in Hebrews 4 verse 3, and in him we find our rest. He is the true Sabbath that we all anticipate. What a wonderful thing to think of. And the circumcision is not of the flesh, but it is of the heart. That's right. Circumcision of the heart. All of those things only pointed to the coming of Christ and our true relationship with him. How wonderful. Okay, we are in Deuteronomy 28, 52 through 61. And after this, there'll be one more Deuteronomy 28 sermon, and then we'll be moving on from there. But for right now, Deuteronomy 28, 52 through 61. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother toward the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity will refuse to the husband of her bosom And to her son and her daughter, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues and great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Now, We've got Don and Andrea who are visiting here from Pennsylvania. They arrived last night and a couple of you weren't here. I had the honor of baptizing them last night. It was a wonderful experience right as the sun was going down. It could not have been timed any better. And this is the catch-up sermon for Don. He's watched every one of our sermons and he caught up a day ago, two days ago, is that right? Two days ago. And he said... I will be current with this sermon, and I thought, how, how not great to be caught up with the contents of this sermon. Now, it's the Word of God, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's one of the most woeful passages in all of Scripture. It's one of the most graphic passages in all of Scripture, but it is the Word of God. And so, I present it to you now, and Don... you're a brave man to come down here for this particular sermon. And I warned everybody last week, you all heard it. In our first verse today, the word batach will be introduced. As will be explained again, when we get there, it means to trust. It is used in the Psalms more than 45 times, almost always in connection with trusting the Lord. There are things we can trust in, and there are things that we are admonished to not put our trust in. The verses today contain some of the most horrifying words in all of Scripture, that is for certain. To keep them in context with the people to whom they are directed, I will say, without giving too much personal information, that I have been to several Jewish funerals, some friends, some family of friends. At one of them, the rabbi who was doing the ceremony talked about his people and the struggles that they had gone through. He even mentioned Leviticus 26 which is the parallel passage to Deuteronomy 28. There, it is in the first person. The Lord says, I will do this, and I will do that. On the other hand, here in Deuteronomy 28, it is in the third person. Moses says, the Lord will do this, and the Lord will do that. Either way, they are words that are so obviously fulfilled in the history of the Jewish people that they simply cannot be dismissed. And yet, this is exactly what the rabbi did when he mentioned the plagues the Lord promised to come upon the people of Israel. It was as if this great book that established us, and it is our rule and our guide for life, but the bad parts do not, no, they cannot apply to us. I was shocked, but not surprised. We see it in churches all the time. Let us get out our exacto knife and cut out the things that we do not like. It is not wise, nor is it helpful. Who are we going to trust concerning the word? Concerning the Lord, concerning our theology and our doctrine. If God is competent and He made trees, so He is, then we should expect that He will get us a word that is suitable for the edification of all people if they will simply check it out. Our text first comes from Psalm 115. O Israel, trust in the Lord, He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, He is their help and their shield you who fear the lord trust in the lord he is their help and their shield one thing that doesn't matter is many too often we look at many and we use that as a guide for our making of decisions there are many people on the earth and so there must be many acceptable ways to express ourselves toward god there are many cultures on the earth and so there are many ways that people groups can express themselves toward god There are many religions, and so there must be many ways to have a relationship with God. There are many denominations, and so it must be okay to worship God in any of them, and so on. The problem with that is that there is only one God. We don't set the rules. He does. That should be obvious on the surface, but it eludes most people. And it is a tragic flaw in our thinking. Once we can accept that God is God and that He sets the rules... And only then can we then work to find out how he expects us to live. If there is one God and he has actually only given one way for many to relate to him, we need to find out what that way is. Is it Judaism? Is it Islam? Is it Buddhism, Sikhism, or what? Does he care at all? It is certainly worth finding out. Does walking into a shopping mall and pulling a detonator cord, blowing yourself and all the people around you up, please God? Does that, as we are told, guarantee you a place in paradise? If the Bible is God's word, and if we think dismissing parts of it are okay, then we only need to look at Israel. The tragic story is of a nation that has and continues to receive exactly what it bargained for. God has given an example for the whole wide world to discover exactly what he expects and what happens when those expectations are not met. This morning I typed the commentary for Acts 3, verse 19. Go read Acts 2.38 and then read Acts 3.19 and try to discover what God is telling you. These Acts commentaries, I'm learning more than I ever thought I would learn going one verse at a time and by breaking them down into individual verses clauses and words it is an incredible study acts 319 we find out what god expects if the bible is the word of god and i am fully convinced in my mind and in my heart that it is or i would not be sitting here it's not worth it i will tell you that right now i had my daughter say that she's just been working for 19 straight days and my heart breaks for her and i told her I haven't had a single day off in over 380 days because the last time I had a day off was September when I went up to visit those people at in Ohio, okay? It is not worth the effort unless what I am doing is something I truly believe is what God expects of us. I would not do that, okay? Wonderful, blessed, and great things along with tragic, terrible, and extraordinary things are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through His word today, and may His glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is the siege and desperate straits. It is verses 52 through 57. Verse 52, "They shall besiege you at all your gates. Vehezar and he shall besiege to you in all your gates." As was noted in the verses last week from verse 49, it speaks of a nation whom the Lord will bring against Israel. In referring to the actions of that nation, the words are in the singular, speaking of it as a united entity. That continues now He shall besiege you rather than they shall besiege you. Understanding this, it will be, verse 52 continues, until your high and fortified walls. The words are prefixed by articles for effect. It says, until come down your walls, the high and the fortified. Obviously, one builds walls for protection. To build them high is intended to make getting over them more difficult and to give greater advantage to those inside when those outside are trying to scale them. And more, from a higher elevation, there's an advantage for archers and the like over the troops who are mustered below. To fortify them, obviously, is intended to make breaching them more difficult. Having such notable defenses would lead to a feeling of security for those within. The walls are those, verse 52 continues, in which you trust. With such strong fortifications, the inhabitants would feel secure. But to trust in such things while failing to trust the Lord can only lead to futility. To highlight this, a new word is introduced, batach. It gives a sense of being bold, confident, placing one's hope, and so on. Where is one's confidence? In 2 Kings 18 alone, the word is used eight times. The chapter refers to Hezekiah. Of him, it first says in verse 5, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. In verses 9 through 12, it notes the besieging of Samaria by Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. The city was taken... And the inhabitants were taken into exile because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, their God. They had failed to put their trust in him. After that, starting in verse 13, it refers to the warfare of the cities of Judah by Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Then from verse 17, it details the coming siege of Jerusalem by Sennacherib. Until the end of the chapter, the word batach is used seven more times in relation to where Hezekiah placed his trust, meaning in the Lord. After that, the word is used again in chapter 19 as the account of the siege continues. Despite the overwhelming force that stood outside threatening the city, Hezekiah refused to surrender, but continues to trust batach in the Lord God. And because of this, the account of the siege concludes with these words, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh. Here in Deuteronomy, Moses is laying down the law. Where will the people place their trust? Will it be in the Lord, following him and being obedient to his law? Or will it be in the walls of their cities, the work of their hands? Well, if that is their hope, he says that such strong fortifications will, verse 52 continues, come down throughout all your land. If an army is prepared to besiege a city long enough, even the highest and strongest walls will not be able to endure forever. A city is comprised of people and people need food. Eventually, even the greatest and most protected city will run out of it. In such a state, the soldiers within would be so famished that they would be unable to fend off those scaling the walls or the sappers beneath the walls. I don't know if you know what a sapper is. Today, a sapper is a person that they have a bomb out in the, uh, uh, we'll say in the courtyard. Somebody needs to get rid of that thing, and that is a sapper. They will go out and they will try to defuse the bomb or contain the bomb in some way. In the old days, they would have sappers. These were people that were usually prisoners, that would be told, go in and start digging under the walls. And a sapper went on a one-way journey because the walls generally fell down on top of them and crushed them to death. That was the job of a sapper. Very few ever came out unscathed, but that is a sapper. In this, the walls which had been the inhabitants' greatest trust will come down. One city after another would fall to the foe. But more, verse 52 continues, and they shall besiege you at all your gates. And he shall besiege to you in all your gates. Moses returns to the thought of the besieging of the gates of the first clause, exactly repeating those words once again. Why would he do this? It is to set a contrast to what was said and what will next be said, which is, verse 52 continues, throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Notice the difference between the two thoughts. At all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust, at all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord, your God, has given you. Where is your trust? There are gates, and there are gates. There are walls, and there are walls. Some are built by man, and some are of the Lord. The contrast to where Israel will place its trust to its own destruction and where the Lord Jesus placed his trust to his own victory is absolute. In the 22nd Psalm, a Messianic Psalm, the word batach, or trust, is used three times. Twice it speaks of the trust of the fathers in the Lord. Psalm 22, 3-5, through five, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. The third time it speaks of the faith of the Lord's Messiah in the Lord. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Christ placed his trust in the Lord even from infancy. The Lord is the gate of trust as well. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. In the New Testament, as well in the Old Testament, the word is often translated both as gate and door, depending on what translation you are looking at. When Jesus says, I am the door, he's speaking of that. When we saw the, in Genesis 28, I believe, when Jacob saw a ladder reaching to heaven. He said, this is the Lord's gate. It was a picture of Jesus. Every single item in that particular vision, every one of them, the rock under his head, the oil on the rock, the ladder, the Lord on the top, all of it was a picture of Christ. And the Lord is a wall for those who trust in him. Zechariah 2.5, for I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Moses' implied question for Israel is, where will you place your trust? Israel failed and was punished and exiled. The Lord Jesus never swerved in his trust of the Lord his God. He prevailed where Israel failed. Because of their failures, Moses says, verse 53, you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. The words here, as tragic as they are, were given by Moses in advance Therefore, when such events were to take place, and they did, in fact, take place, the people could go to his words and say, this is our fault. The fruit of your own body is explained by the words, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. What is as horrifying as the act itself is the fact that before the act, the child would first have to be killed. And this is what the record of Israel details. For example, in 2 Kings 6, Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. Then he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she said, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. This is also recorded as occurring in Judah. From Lamentations 4, the hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. These and other such examples are given right in scripture as a fulfillment of the words of Moses now. Israel was told that they would eat their own children. Verse 53 continues, "Whom the Lord your God has given you." In the Bible, having children is considered a blessing from the Lord. However, in rejecting the Lord and shunning his law, the blessing of children would turn into a curse of horror. The unthinkable would become reality. Verse 53 continues, "In the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you." Baymotso matsuk, In siege and in desperate straits, which shall distress to you your enemy. The words are filled with horror. Enemies without, complete lack within, and a state of total distress because of the siege of the enemy. Moses introduces two new words here. The first is tsuk. It is a verb signifying distress, being brought into dire straits, and so on. From that comes the other noun, matsuk, meaning dire straits, anguish, and so on. Moses says that the Lord will distress Israel in the sieges and straits that he brings upon the people. It is in this terrible state that they would do the horrifying thing of eating their own children. This is not only recorded in the Bible, though, but it is also recorded concerning the siege of Jerusalem by Flavius Josephus. Joseph Benson says the following. This prediction was repeatedly fulfilled, especially when Vespasian and his son Titus begirt Jerusalem so closely that the besieged were reduced to a most grievous famine, which forced them, after they had eaten up their horses and other creatures, to eat even their own children, whom parents who had used to live delicately, Moses here foretells, should themselves eat up privately and let none share with them. What Benson is referring to continues to be explained by Moses in the next words. Verse 54, the sensitive and very refined man among you. Moses uses two words to describe the man of this verse. The first is rock or sensitive. It signifies tender, delicate, soft, and the like. The second word is a new and rare one, anog. It is used only here in verse 56 and in Isaiah 47 verse 1. It speaks of that which is luxurious or delicate. He then modifies it with the word me'od, or very, the person being described as the kindest and most gentle sort of man. In normal circumstances, he would reach out to help anyone, and he would never dare to be rude or unkind. And yet, in the straits that Moses speaks of, he, verse 54 continues, will be hostile towards his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children, whom he leaves behind. The words translated as will be hostile are literally will be evil his eye. In his own anguish, he will look at his brother, his beloved wife, and even his own children with contempt and disdain rather than compassion. In saying the rest of his children, it means that he has taken one to eat. In saying whom he leaves behind, it is speaking of the other children. More correctly, it reads the rest of his children who remain. One is taken, the others are not but he will not give a bite of the meal that he is preparing to anyone else. In the siege of Jerusalem, Josephus records, in every house where there was any appearance of food or anything that looked like it, that had the shadow of it, there was a battle. And the dearest friends fought with one another, snatching away from each other the miserable supports of life. That is just what Moses says of this refined man now. He will take one of his own children and look at those around him with an evil eye. Verse 55, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat. The obvious thought that comes to mind is that his child is already skin and bones. To his demented mind, killing him would be an act of mercy at this point. But because he is nothing but skin and bones, to share him wouldn't leave even enough for himself. This is all there is, and it is not much. Verse 55 going on, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. Moses repeats the same words as in verse 53, thus forming its own stress on the state of things in siege and in desperate straits, which shall distress to you, your enemy. Along with that, he adds in the words from verse 52, shearecha in all your gates. It isn't just a city that is besieged so that the residents of other cities could come and help. Rather, there is no help for anyone because invaders have come upon the whole land. None will be spared. No food will be smuggled in. No friendly armies will launch counterattacks. In this terrible state, the unthinkable for this man has become reality. The horror and the revolting nature of the meal is all he can think of. But the man is not alone. Verse 56, the tender and delicate woman among you. Moses uses the same two words he just used to describe the man to now describe the woman. Rach and Anog. She is tender and delicate. She is a woman of culture. She is refined. She is dainty. However you would describe the mildest and sweetest woman This is who Moses now refers to. She is so cultured that she is one, verse 56 continues, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground. The word translated as venture is nasa. It signifies to test or prove a matter. She's so delicate and soft that she wouldn't attempt to tread barefooted. Moses also uses the word aretz, land, instead of adama or ground, though they are almost synonymous and are both translated as earth, land, and ground. It appears that he may have chosen aretz to speak of any terrain at all, be it soft grass, the shores of the water, or anywhere else. She would never even attempt it. Verse 56 going on because of her delicateness and sensitivity. Again, Moses repeats the word anog, delicate, and then he uses the noun form of rock, a word found only here in all of the Bible, rok, or tenderness. The repetition is once again a way of highlighting what is said. Such a completely polished and refined woman, verse 56 continues, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter. Again, like the description of the sensitive and refined man, Moses says that this sensitive and refined woman would have an evil eye toward her beloved husband and also toward her own children. The idea here is that of the strongest of possible links. In saying wife of his bosom or husband of her bosom, it is speaking of someone so close that the two are as close to one another as if they are one. And as the children have issued from them, they are one in the same stock. No human relationships could be any closer. And yet for this once refined and tender woman, she will refuse them, verse 57, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet. This is a word found only this once in the Bible, shilya. Some translations say her young, but this is unlikely. It is more likely referring to afterbirth. The word comes from shala, meaning to extract. The woman is at the time of birth, and so she has withdrawn herself from being near anyone else in order that she will be alone to consume what passes from her. But knowing that the placenta would only lightly satisfy her, she plots to also add to it. Verse 57, and her children whom she bears. The use of the plural children certainly means one, twins, triplets, whatever. Her affection for the child or children to be born would be completely lacking. In her deranged thinking, she probably thought it's a just and fair trade. My body has been the vessel to produce the child, and now the child will be the means of sustaining my body. Such is the nature of the horror of being besieged and there being nothing left to eat. And so to bear a child would be to set forth a meal. Verse Don't you, aren't you so thankful to live in the world that we're living in right now? This could all change. It could all go south. But right now we are reading about something that actually happened to real human beings in real human history. I'm so thankful that we are not facing that right now. But we don't know what tomorrow holds Hold fast to the Lord while you can. Verse 57 continues, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything. For she will eat them, plural, probably meaning the afterbirth and the child, in lack, all, in the secret. The words of Moses are so direct, so personal, and so horrifying that surely none could believe they were possible. Who could even imagine it? But in abandoning the Lord, There would be a time of dread that those who have never faced such a thing could not even think possible. And yet he says that it will come. Verse 57 continues, in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. The New King James Version translators lazily copied the translation from verse 55 and restated it here. However, here it only says in your gates, not in all your gates, as it said in verse 55. Such lack of attention to detail is unacceptable for a translation committee. Despite that, for the third time in a row, Moses returns to the same general words as were used in verses 53 and 55, in siege and in desperate straits, which shall distress to you, your enemy in your gates. Thus, he is forming a very heavy stress on the state of what it will be like when the Lord turns his favor away from Israel. As already seen, this came to pass in various degrees in 2 Kings 6 and in Lamentations 4. This is also noted in Ezekiel 5. Moses had warned, the law was given, and Israel shunned both the Lord and his word. Because of this, the prophet Ezekiel confirmed what lay ahead. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. She has rebelled against my judgments by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries that are all around her, for they have refused my judgments and they have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are all around you, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I, even I, am against you, and will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations, and I will do among you what I have never done, and the like of which I will never do again because of all of your abominations. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgments among you, and all of you who remain I will scatter To all the winds. Ezekiel was referring to the tragedy that would come upon the people in the first exile, which had already begun. Eventually, the city was destroyed as prophesied, including the resulting horrors he conveyed to the people. However, in failing to heed after that, the same tragedy came upon them again, as is recorded by Josephus and as relayed on Wikipedia. Not a very reliable source, but this is correct. I always check things out. It is a story that occurred during the Roman siege that so closely matches Moses' words that it can be considered nothing but a fulfillment of these verses right here in Deuteronomy. Josephus relates that there was a Mary, daughter of Eliezer, originally from the village of Bethesuva in the district of Perea, east of the Jordan River, who had previously fled to Jerusalem. Distinguished in family and fortune... Her property, treasures, and food had been plundered by the Jewish defenders of the city during the siege. Sounds exactly like what they've been talking about already. Famine was eating her heart out and rage consuming her still faster. Maddened by hunger, she took the infant at her breast and said to him, Poor little mite, in war, famine, and civil strife, why should I keep you alive? With the Romans, there is only slavery, and that only if alive, when they come— But famine is forestalling slavery, and the partisans are crueler than either. Come, you must be food for me. To the partisans, an avenging spirit, and to the world, a tale. The only thing left to fill up the measure of Jewish misery. And in defiance, to all natural feeling, she killed her son, then roasted him and ate one half, hiding the rest." Almost immediately, the rebels appeared, sniffing the unholy smell, and threatened to kill her on the spot unless she revealed what she had prepared. As she uncovered what was left of the child, she offered them a share. They left her in horror, and the entire city could not stop thinking of this crime and abomination. When the news reached the Romans, some refused to believe. Some were distressed, but on most, the effect was to add enormously to their detestation of the enemy at hand. Titus disclaimed all responsibility as he had repeatedly offered peace and amnesty for surrender. Though not in the Bible itself, and though Josephus at times contradicts or misunderstands some of the things found in scripture, his eyewitness writings of the time in which he lived serve as a witness to what occurred in Israel after their rejection of Christ Jesus. On the other hand, There is disobedience leading to the horror spoken of in these verses concerning the offspring of the people. On the other hand, there is the note of the blessing for Christ, who perfectly obeyed the will of his father by accomplishing everything set forth for him to do. From Hebrews chapter 2, for it was fitting for him who made all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He himself likewise shared in the same that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Think of these people that did these horrible things. Why did they do it? Because they wanted to live. They were afraid of death. He has freed us from that. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Instead of those in Israel rejecting brother, wife, or offspring and consuming their own children... Christ was willing to come to save his brethren, die for his bride, and to suffer for the children God has given him. The contrast between the two, Israel and Christ, is complete. As for Israel, it has been a heavy burden laid upon them, but the law came by their own agreement to be under it, and it came with advanced warnings of what it meant to reject what it says. Moses will again confirm this thought in the next verse. He was so gentle and such a loving soul. He never harmed a thing in his whole life. But something has come over him that he cannot control, and it has separated any love he had, even for his wife. She was the epitome of tenderness and sensitivity. Never did she dare to put the sole of her foot to the ground. But she has destroyed her own child in the siege of the city and has hidden his body to eat when none are around. How could such a thing happen? It is a world full of woe. There's only horror and disaster to be found. Where will it end? No one can know. But look at what has happened with the terror all around. Oh God, may our trust be in you alone. You are our God, our only helping stone. Our second thought today is until you are destroyed. It's verses 58 through 61. Verse 58, if you do not carefully observe, this is somewhat of a paraphrase. The words are more precise, saying, if not, you keep to do. There is the keeping and the doing, as has been mentioned in earlier sermons. One can keep and not do, and one can do without keeping. But what is expected is that the people will both keep and also do. Verse 58 continues all the words of this law that are written in this book. The English gives the sense for us to understand, but in the original, Moses is very specific, leaving out any possibility of ambiguity or All words, the law, the this, these written in the book, the this. One can only see that absolute perfect adherence to what is stated is the expectation. For Israel, there was the sacrificial system for failure to meet this perfect standard, but the intent is not to fail and then seek forgiveness. It is instead to perform and not need to seek it. In keeping and doing, there is a demonstration of the attitude of the people, verse 58 going on, that you may fear. The words that you may fear are not correct. Rather, it says, to fear. Using that implies one clause gives the purpose for the other. Rather, the second clause explains the first. In observing and doing, the people are showing reverential fear. Taken together, it says, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, to fear. Verse 58 continues, this glorious and awesome name, HaShem, HaNikvad, HaNorah, the name, the heavying, and the feared. The verb Chavad means heavy, weighty, or abounding with. Thus, the glorying is a good way to understand the meaning. The word Norah is a verb meaning to fear. Being prefixed by the article, it thus means the feared. And so the awe-striking may get the point across as well. And that superlative name is, verse 58 continues, the Lord your God, Yehovah Elohecha, Yehovah your God. It is a term used many, many times in Deuteronomy when speaking of the Lord in general. But because of how Moses has preceded it with the previous clause that is filled with superlatives, the full cap title is a sweet touch to offset the words. By stating it the way he has, it appears that Moses has shown that the name Jehovah that was explained to him at the burning bush in Exodus 3 verse 14, I am that I am, is now more fully developed to Israel. It is not just that he is Jehovah, who is your God, but that he is Jehovah, your God. The name and the people to whom the name has been presented are united in a new revelation of himself. God is progressively revealing who he is and what his relationship with Israel is. Therefore, if they fail to keep and to do the words of the law and to fear the name, the heavying and the feared Yehovah, your God, verse 59, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues. The nature of the plagues is stated first in the Hebrew and will make extraordinary Yehovah your plagues and plagues your descendants. Also, the word plagues is the same word that was used to describe the beating of a person that he was to receive for violating the law. Up to 40 stripes seen in Deuteronomy 25 verse 3. Therefore, this is certainly more than just plagues of pestilence, but plagues, hazards, social afflictions against the people, and dare we even say of events such as the pogroms and the Holocaust. It is the stripes of punishment for rejecting the law and the Lord from whom the law came. These will be, verse 59 continues, great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. This seems to show that the idea of stripes is more suited. There are both great and prolonged stripes and great and prolonged sicknesses. The two work hand in hand. In being afflicted, such as when the Jews were all clustered in the ghettos, which would be a stripe, the sicknesses would then accompany the stripes. Verse 60, moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt. Here the word disease is singular. It reads, and he will return in you every infirmity Egypt. The word translated as disease is used now for the second and last time in the Bible, Madveh. In both Deuteronomy 7 verse 15 and here, it is referring to disease found in Egypt. It comes from a word signifying infirmity, and it was something that they should have forever left behind. But the Lord promises to bring them back upon the people when they failed to heed. These may or may not be the diseases that afflicted the Egyptians during the plagues upon Egypt, though. The reason is that a different word is used when describing those in Exodus 15. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Either way. Whether those particular plagues or whether it was general diseases that were found in Egypt that the Israelites personally experienced, of them, he specifically notes, verse 60 going on, of which you were afraid, the words are more personal in the Hebrew, which you were afraid of their presence. In other words, like AIDS or some other debilitating disease that people are fearful of even being around, they shall return to the people of Israel. But more, verse 60 going on, and they shall cling to you. They will reappear among the people, and there will be no way to shake them off. Where one person goes, it will follow. And when it does, it will cling to whoever is near him, sticking like glue. But more than these, the Lord promises extra that the people had not even considered. Verse 61, also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law. Here again, Moses uses the same word translated elsewhere as stripe that he used in verse 59. Also, every sickness and every stripe, which is not written in this book of the law. Things that would be completely unknown, more terrible, more enduring, more terrifying, and so on, all of these would come upon Israel for their failure to heed. All of these and more. Verse 61 finishes with, Will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed? This is the six of seven times that Moses uses the word shamad or destroy in this chapter. As we've already seen, it means just that, to destroy, bring to naught, perish, and so on. However, it does not have to be, nor should it be taken in its absolute sense. Moses knows that Israel will be destroyed. They will be so crushed that there appears to be no hope left for them at all. And yet he knows that the Lord has promised to preserve them through their destruction and to never totally annihilate them as a people. But that will not ease the pains they are sure to face while they are facing them. In Jeremiah 6, the prophet uses the same two words that Moses now uses, sickness and stripe, to describe what had befallen the people as an attempted corrective measure. Here's what it says there. For thus says the Lord of hosts, cut down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem. This is the city that must be punished there is nothing but oppression within her as a well keeps its water fresh so she keeps fresh her evil violence and destruction are heard within her sickness and wounds those two words are ever before me be warned o jerusalem lest i turn from you in disgust lest i make you a desolation an uninhabited land jeremiah probably read the words after penning them and said yes The Lord is true to his word. He may have wondered what the end of it all would be, but it wasn't for him to know. He simply wrote what the Spirit inspired, and he waited to see where things would head. To this day, people in Israel still don't know where things will go, because for the most part, they are wholly ignorant of his word. And of those who have studied it, almost none of them have done so with the thought of Christ Jesus being the one to whom the words point. Think of that rabbi that I mentioned at the beginning of our word today. There he is telling his people how unreliable the word is when it told in the minutest detail exactly what would come to pass. But unless one wants to admit that he is or his people are in the wrong, there will be no understanding. Let us not make this error. God is God and we must let him be so in our lives. Think clearly, think soberly, And think about Israel. If nothing else on this entire planet explains what is right and what is not concerning who God is, and there are many things that do, Israel surely does. We cannot ignore this word which tells us of such things and go unscathed. And the fact is that above all else, this word tells us of Jesus. Therefore, to reject what it says about him is to find only condemnation. Pay heed to the word, accept it as it is given, and in its proper context, and you will do well. Of this, I am absolutely certain. If you do not, things will not go well. And of this, I'm absolutely certain. Come to Christ and find God's favor. Amen. I told you I typed Acts 3.19 today. Might as well read that to you so you can see. They were again warned in advance. Jesus warned him. Peter warned him. Let me see if I can find this. Now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. This is starting in verse 11. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Here it is, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. They were given a sign and then they were told what the sign pointed to. They were told what to do about it in advance. It goes on. I'm not going to read it. You can follow along on the daily commentary. I post it every day on the superior word. A guy in England reads it out loud. If you want it in audible form, a lady, Joey, I forgot where you live, Joey. I'm sorry. I think Philadelphia. Ah, anyway, I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to embarrass you if you're from Philly. Anyway, um, Or not from Philly. Anyway, um, Joey posts this on both YouTube and Rumble. Scrolling. It's the (laughs) words that I type and then she puts music or crackling fire or something behind it and you can just read it along. Claudia does every day. So you got all kinds of ways of doing it and then we've got Wade out in Washington State who takes all of this stuff, everything that the Superior Word does and he puts it on Sermon Audio. He's increased the number of people that listen every day to that commentary from like five up to over, what was it last time, Wade? I think it was 1,700 people that were reading the daily commentary. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but I think that's what it was. It's all out there for you to follow along with, and you can find out what the resolution of Peter's words were. I would encourage you to do that. There's all kinds of formats. You can read it. You can listen to it. You can see it. You can have Daniel. And it's a great British accent. They always sound so professional. You can't get away with anything if you've got a British accent. I mean, that's why we have James Bond and not Jimmy Bond. is because, you know, it sounds so nice. He does such a good job. So take the time to follow that every day. That's the very first thing I do after reading my Bible every day is to type the next commentary. I'm 12 days in advance, so that'll be 12 days from now, 13 days from now. But... It's a marvelous journey. I'm telling you what, Acts is way beyond even what I thought and I've studied Acts in detail in the past. The point of this though is that they were told what to do and they didn't do it. And the reason why I brought that up is because you have been told by me many times and I'm going to tell you again right now what you need to do and you need to do it. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of these problems. All of them. He is the Lord God. He is God incarnate. That means God and man, fully God, fully man, forever. He alone can take away the sin debt that you and I bear. Israel had the day of atonement, which was anticipatory of him. We have the atonement in Christ Jesus. He is God's offering for the sins of our lives. And I do not believe, because the Bible does not allow it, that there is any other way to be reconciled to God except through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He said it himself, The apostles confirm it. There's no doubt that if you read the Bible with an open mind, you will come to no other conclusion because it's explicit. It's not implicit. It is explicit. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Please call on Christ. Give your life to him and live for him. Don't just just receive him, but live for him all day, every day. Live for Jesus Christ. This is what I would ask you to do. Please. Okay? And then if you want... Be like Don and, and, uh, say, Andrea, thank you. I was going to say Aretha, and I knew it wasn't Aretha. I'm sorry. That's what happens when you're in the pulpit. You lose your brain. Be like them, and if you want to get baptized, come down to Sarasota, okay? And we can do it at sunset with the sun behind you. Good stuff. Okay, I got a closing verse for you. Please call on Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he was buried. Believe that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You'll be sealed with God's Holy Spirit. Our closing verse is from Deuteronomy 32. It's verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things to come hasten upon them. Tell me that's not prophetic. Okay? This was the hardest sermon for me to give in a long, long time. And I'm glad that you all came. I gave you a warning last week and I told you it'd be brutal can't believe what's happened in this world but we make our own choices all of us the lord has you exactly where he wants you he has a good plan and a purpose for you but he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise and so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you okay all right what's that yes what what I skipped what? Oh, next week. Thank you. I got to tell you about next week's sermon. Next week is Deuteronomy 28, 62 through 68. Some will find hell by ignoring these verses, and yet they think they will find heaven. It's entitled The Blessings and the Curses. Part 7. Thank you, Jay. That'll be our 83rd Deuteronomy sermon. Okay, I got a poem for you, and we'll be done. Well, before I give you a poem, I got a question for you. Okay. Some of you have already got your Christmas gifts because I told you in advance, but I planned on not doing that, but I didn't want there to be confusion on the way out the door. So I'm going to ask you a question. If anybody gets this wrong, you've got to return your present over here. Is everybody ready? If you get this wrong, you're going to be in trouble with me. How old was Jehoiakim the priest when he died? Hey, I got the smartest congregation in the world. This is entitled, The Blessings and the Curses. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls, those in which you trust, come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you in all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you as is right and just. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. Yes, this is true. Whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother acting so unkind, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh, their meat, of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter, if they be found, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears, so she will them treat. For she will eat them secretly for the lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits, in which your enemies shall distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law... That are written in this book by which you should be awed, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord, your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, a life full of messes, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. They shall not from you be stripped. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed because you did not show him respect and awe. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise hallelujah to you to us your path you have shown hallelujah we shall sing to you for all of our days hallelujah and amen heavenly father thank you for the lesson of israel it's a terrifying lesson at times it's a wonderful lesson of surety at times israel disobeyed terror came upon them terror brought them to a point of destruction and yet in your faithfulness you have kept them as a people for all of these years despite their faithlessness to you that shows the unending mercy of the god of the universe to do what you have done and more to send jesus to reconcile all of us to you through his shed blood that is beyond our comprehension to think that you would come and dwell amongst us when we do the things that we do such as are described in this passage today and yet you would forgive us and that you would reconcile us to yourself and to give us what we threw away at the beginning of time. Lord, thank you for the hope that we possess in Jesus Christ and the victory that we celebrate because of his death for us. Yes, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.